I think it's really important to highlight the the people behind the hat, the the amazing craft people. Some of them have been in the business for, you know, like decades. Hello, I'm Poonam and welcome to Crew Chats podcast where I speak to the people that work behind the scenes in film, TV and theatre. For this episode, earlier this summer, I spoke to milliner Claire Strickland about her unusual route to millinery, constantly learning, as well as the exhibition Claire has curated titled Showtime Perhaps, opening on the 4th of September and running until 20th of October at the Hatworks in Luton. It will be showcasing the work of 18 milliners from the British Hat Guild with pieces from TV, theatre, film and opera. All exhibition details will be in the show notes. Hi, Claire. (laughs) Thank you for coming on to the podcast um, and speaking to me. Um, so you're a milliner and what does that involve for you? So that involves making hats and headwear and anything that's kind of worn around the neck and above the neck. Um, so masks, headdresses, more kind of costume proppy kind of headdresses. Also hats made out of felt, straw, cinema, uh, any kind of fabric or material that the costume designer gives me yeah and then kind of like yeah like ruffs and masks and stuff like that how did you get into what you do I did I was at Leeds University uh studying web design and I went to a midwinter masquerade party with a boyfriend and you had to make your own costumes and I made this mask and I covered it all in feathers and beads and I like stayed up all night doing it and absolutely loved doing it And then I just sort of really thought then, like, I really want to make things with my hands. So then that kind of led on to me doing an evening class in ceramics. So I was still doing my web design degree. And I did an evening class in ceramics at Leeds College of Art for like one day, one evening a week for a year and absolutely loved it. And then I I am a bit of a student, uh, like education addict. So then... I finished my web design degree and I got onto a fine art sculpture course um, and I was on that for a year until in the beginning of my second year, I realized that um, it was very kind of like conceptual. Yeah. Like, for example, I said I wanted to make a mask covered in beads and they said, oh, that's too craft. Why don't you make the mask just out of like a single sheet of lined paper? And I was like, oh, no, I'm on the wrong course again. So I left there. Uh, tempt uh, in the HR department at Greg's uh, for about six months and in the meantime got on the course which was the right course which was um, technical effects for the performing arts at the London College of Fashion and yeah that was that was fab and right from my first year I started uh, volunteering um, in my holidays and doing uh, I got really obsessed with puppets and doing lots of work experience on theatre shows I did some volunteering as a student at Robert Allsop's, learned, just saw some incredible stuff there. And uh, yeah, just learned like loads of really good skills on my course, uh, sculpting in clay and oil-based clays, fabrication, like clipping foam, mold making with silicon and plaster. Uh, and also our year group, we just had a really good year that like really bonded together and, oh. and worked on those projects together. Oh, wow. I So I've spoken to you before. I did not know you did the degree in web design. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> do you think that that has, because you didn't continue, you didn't do work in that field after, based on what you're saying? No, yeah. when, when, when your family realises that you make websites, like every single friend and family want a website, especially <laughs> this was like the year 
2000, I think. So everybody was like, oh, can you make me a website? Can you make me a website? But yeah, I haven't, I didn't go into it doing, doing any like web design work. Do you think it's informed or helped your subsequent career profession work would it has has it helped in any way do you think it's informed yeah definitely definitely because on my course there were like there were tons of like really really talented people and you know like there's probably a few of us who who made it in the industry and and went into it and I think Mm -hmm. part of that is is the lifestyle of freelancing and like the nature of not having a permanent job um, but then the other side of it is the self-promotion side of it. And sort of right from when I graduated, I was able to have a website. And I I got really into like the business side of it, actually. I went to like loads of free talks put on by University of the Arts London about like promoting yourself and learning about sort of Twitter and social media. So I immediately started promoting myself on Facebook mm. and, you know, Twitter and stuff like that. And like that definitely, definitely help me with my career like definitely because there were people who were more talented than me on my course definitely but I just kind of had a good had a good mix you know what I mean yeah the promotion part of it is key part of it like especially I guess as a freelancer as you mentioned as well just opens you up to more work so that's pretty cool I was gonna say I I um I, I also learned photoshop on the web design degree and that that was really really good yeah and that's kind of I've kept I've kept up with that and kept up with like digital software and then recently got into the whole kind of 3d printing side of it and learning computers so I would say that I didn't really realize it at the time but it it massively it was it was worth it and it yeah I really kind of do enjoy computers now I kind of have that like love-hate relationship with them yeah whereas when I was doing the degree I just like by the end of it hated them it was like I hate computers I never want to work with them <laughs> but I quite like them now they're all right <laughs> Were you a little bit worried when you switched gear in terms of career? When I when I went on to another mm. degree? Yeah. No, because I wasn't really aware of like, credit card debt and overdraft debt. And it was just like, oh, I'll just get another student bank account and like spend the overdraft. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it was only when I graduated where I was a little bit like, oh, gosh, okay, now I, now I need to kind of make sure that I can make this work as a career. <laughs> no, and I like you kind of mentioned in, when you were talking about previously was that you went to courses and talks and stuff about the business side of it. And I often find that we, in the creative world, it's, it's something that isn't necessarily spoken about or considered as an actual kind of like a key part of your working life I guess as well mm. it's like taxes or tax filling yourself for assessment or something like that or getting an accountant or whatever you know whatever those kinds of things that you kind of overlook at least things I didn't really think about when I was a student I was like oh, yeah don't yeah, worry about I got that. really into it I found I found some good books um there's one by Alison Brannigan that was called I think it's called like making sense of business and just like trying to sort of think of a business plan and stuff like that. Like both both my mum and dad uh, have their own businesses. Uh, like they run a business together. So they they ran an electrical contracting business and also an electrical wholesale business. Oh. Uh, so I kind of had that sort of business leaning from them, I would guess. And oh. I always saw them sort of, sort of running the different parts of it, especially my mum as well, because my mum would do all the payroll and... And I used to go in there on the summer holidays and do secretarial stuff. So matching up invoices with delivery notes. Yeah. So I think the business side of it definitely came from my mum and dad as well. 
Oh, that's really, really good. It's a really good grounding and foundation. So just back to hats. Uh, well, I shouldn't just say hats, actually, because when you I asked you what you do, you described everything above the, um, I think you said above, above the neck. Did you use that term? Yeah. That you said everything yes. above the neck. What do you think is the importance of those things as accessories in the day-to-day world? Uh, really, really important that they fit properly and they're comfortable and safe for the performer. That you, when you're making them, you kind of consider um, the medium they're going to be used in. So if it's theatre you know like kind of like tiny tiny detail is going to get lost on stage and especially with normally with stage lighting uh but if it's film then you're going to see things much closer uh what else would I consider if it was theater um that it was you know like really robust I think not being not being precious like especially if it's theater or you know anything just um make it so that it looks really beautiful but then someone can just like pick it up buy like the feather and put it on their head and it'll all like you know be Stay together really robust <laughs> yeah <laughs> would you say that's the key difference between making for theatre and making for screen yeah I think so I don't know I, I always like to make things that are really solid that are really well made one of the things um that I've got quite known for in in more theatre would be headdresses that kind of you know, sort of like showgirl headdresses or um, headdresses mm. that uh, kind of anchor onto the head and go go really massive. So I've just made a chandelier headdress for oh, wow. Regent's Park Open Air Theatre and I made a massive panto hat for Ian McKellen in Mother Goose and Mask of Orpheus at E&O. I did this like huge, huge crown that was on a skull cap as well. And all of those things, I just think it's really important that they're never sort of wobbly and they yeah. sort of hold together really structurally. But I, I think that kind of comes from my uh, puppet making as well, because I used to be totally obsessed with puppets from about, probably from about like 2002 up until about 2010. And I made like tons and tons of puppets uh, and did a lot of work with an amazing puppet maker called Peter O'Rourke. And I kind of learned that from him really, just to kind of make things really solidly. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you're someone that gets really into something when you've figured out like you're like you're interested in it and you get really, really into it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like wake up thinking about I have that like fear. If it's something really complicated, like the fear that, oh God, maybe I'm not gonna be able to work out how to make it. And then sometimes I just wake up and think, Oh yeah, I could that's of course it's really simple. Just do do that. Or actually I I often also think about people who have a lot of experience who I can call on and ask their opinion and advice so I do that as well that's really useful it's always really nice to have people that you can lean on for a bit of like how do you do this and moments of panic (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) or in our conversations and then subsequently having had conversations and seeing your work and then now talking to you now I feel like you're quite passionate and interested like I just said in, in what you get into um what drives that passion I really love making things yeah like that feeling of of making a physical thing and you know like seeing seeing an object that you've made and you see it and it's as you wanted it to be um or just actually not even the finished object just like the process of making I just absolutely love it yeah and I also really like being part of a team like that whole kind of team effort of seeing something that you work on together and then you see it on stage or you like work together in a film and you, you know, like work on a massive scene and you 
kind of see it all come together with all the departments working on it. Yeah, it's just such a buzz. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I agree with you. It is a real big buzz, that that team effort, the mm. team part of it. And it is really the skill of being able to use your hands to make something is and see and then just at the end of it being like, oh, I made this. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> that feeling is really, really nice. Um, and I love um, and I really love uh, like learning a new skill. And I mean, even better if you're being taught the new skill on a job where you're being paid as well. Um, and then also like how how that new skill can kind of inform into something else you already know if that makes sense you know yeah. like so just um was taught how to do a bit of leather work and which is something I would like to explore more definitely and then it just kind of opens up different things in your head for for how you could I don't know apply it to how you could work with plasterzo yeah all kinds of things yeah just it. Just talking about new skills, and you kind of mentioned earlier as well, like that you're interested in technology as well. I think you're doing, you mentioned 3D printing. And I know obviously from our conversation separate to this, that you have been learning how to 3D print and producing stuff. Technology is moving really, really quickly and advancement technology is moving really quickly. How, and you and you mentioned that it's, it's been key to your sort of like process as well, sort of picking up different skills. How do you see that for your career moving forward, the kind of synergy of tech and then handmade stuff um and also for our industry as well I know that's quite a big question <laughs> yeah no, that's a good question I think it's just like another tool to use to be honest I feel like like we so often have to change something really quickly that you can't rely just on technology to be able to do that mm -hmm. and I think because so many of the things that we make are bespoke one-off things and they're that fit to like an actor's measurements sort of really uniquely and you kind of you change it after a fitting I just like I don't think technology can really take over from that I feel like it's a good tool to use it to be able to say I don't know if you were doing something uh like a, like a texture or like say you're doing a helmet and it had lots of points on it or like a particular sort of swirly texture on it mm. then to be able to kind of model those and print them is really really useful and that's great but it's kind of like when you see the resin so the resin is just I think it's kind of quite similar to just sort of normal resin really it's just that instead of casting it in like a conventional way with mm. like a catalyst you're like you're curing it one layer at a time because the because the resin is UV light sensitive and it like it has like it fails in particular ways I mean particularly with me because I'm a beginner and so you need to know sort of sculpting and, and model making techniques to kind of fix it and like fill the holes or join it onto something else because you know you don't have time to reprint it again or you and you mm. don't want to because you don't want to waste that kind of material yeah so I feel like it's a bit like with laser cutting like laser cutting I don't think that's going to replace like cutting things out with a saw it's just it's just a different tool to use it I think yeah, I think other com conversations with other people in, sort of in the industry as well, I guess, just generally, they kind of see it in a similar way. I think also like to embrace it as well. And like you said, you like you do sort of use it to aid you and use it as a tool. So mm. what is your process? So when you first get a brief, whether it's from a supervisor or a costume designer, how do you start? So I will start with an initial meeting and... Before then, I quite like to have uh, had the designs, if there is a design or uh, the mood board. And I'll just kind of talk to them 
and quite often ask them to explain to me in words what kind of feeling they want from the piece you know like Mm. if it's kind of like extravagant and glitzy and glamorous or if they want it to look very historical and very accurate um I quite often ask them things like you know do you want it to be gloss or matte do you want it to be yeah just like the character like like finding out the character of the piece so that kind of when you get towards the end and you're making it then you can like remember their words in your head when you're kind of thinking about those little decisions that can bring across a lot of character if that makes sense yeah Uh, yeah so I have like an initial meeting and then I normally um do mocking up I mean it really depends how much time I've got as well because if there isn't a lot of time then I'll just kind of go for it um and it depends if I've worked with a designer before as well so if we kind of know how each other likes working Mm. uh but yeah I quite like to start off with like um like a scrunched up paper and cardboard mock-up and to have it on a head and then kind of photograph it from different angles and they can say what you know if if they like it or if they don't like it and if they want to change stuff then I will um get something ready for a fitting in a theatre fitting then I normally haven't covered it in the top fabrics and then it's like easier to change it so I might have to have buckram and then if the designer wants to kind of even draw if it was a hat they wanted to draw on the brim with a pencil a different Mm. line yeah totally open to that and then after the fitting I kind of squirrel myself away and just kind of go for it and get it finished yeah and then 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 they would see it again and and then after that I could add decoration but yeah I found with film quite often with film I'll send sort of one photo because a lot of my film work has been has been as an outworker so yeah, sometimes they don't even want a foot picture. It's just kind of, can you just get it done as quickly as possible and post it in? What has been the thing that you've most enjoyed making? If you had to pick one thing. Oh my gosh. Um, most enjoyed making. Well, actually it got cut and it didn't end up being used. Um, and the finished thing I would probably would have changed it a little bit, but I really, really enjoyed making... Um, a mask for uh it was a dancer called Dixon Mvi. It was it was a solo show dance. Oh. And um I I think it was just like the process of making the mask. Um because they took a cling film wrap of his head and neck and then transferred the cling film wrap into a plastazote pattern and made like a plastazote block. And oh. then I used that to block block buckram. Um and yeah. It was it was really satisfying. I mean, the mask got cut. It took hours and hours to make, and it got cut. <laughs> but I just really enjoyed. There's <laughs> just something really nice about making an object that was really like representative of his physical form with his head. I don't know if that makes sense. But... No, I, I do understand what you're saying, and that's just to your point about being cut. I feel like over time you do sort of get um, less precious about things like that. Um, especially if you enjoy making it. I know it sounds really quite weird like to say it that way because if you enjoy making it, you kind of want it to be used. But you kind of, like you say, you've kind of gained a new, like not a new skill, but you've learned something from that process which you could apply later. Yeah, and there was and there was a lot of risk taking in it. There was a lot of like, oh, I don't know if this is actually going to work. Like, is this going to work? And and like, and that happened like several several stages along the way and it did work. So, yeah, it was really satisfying.
Um, I'm excited to ask you this question because it's about an exhibition which you've create, curated and put together called Showtime Perhaps. Now, I'm not going to speak about it because I think you're the expert on this matter. <laughs> so could you firstly tell me what the exhibition is about um, and what made you want to put together an exhibition and how you went about it? So the exhibition is called Showtime Perhaps and it's an exhibition of milliners and hatters in the British Hat Guild who make hats for theatre, film, opera and TV. And it's um, about between 17 and 20 milliners, each exhibiting one hat each. It's on in Luton at uh, Luton um, Hat Museum with Culture Trust Luton. And it's in what used to be an old hat factory. So it's um, been refurbished into a co-working space. And in the main room downstairs, they are going to let us have plinths and have all the hats there. And the reason I wanted to put it on was because it's just a kind of like a really unknown niche. I think it's really important to highlight the the people behind the hats, like who, like the the amazing craft people who, some of them have been in the business for, you know, like decades. There's um, Sean Barrett, Jane Smith, um, Sophie Lamb, Sally-Ann Proven, uh, Joe Willis, who worked at Cosprop for years and years. And it's just, yeah, really exciting to kind of see the amazing things that they make. And I just kind of wanted to also highlight that it's quite often like a collaboration with a costume designer and, yeah, like champion unsung heroes, I think. And and also inspire people who kind of just at the beginning of their careers and inspire them to to kind of maybe go down that pathway or consider it. Because when, you know, like when I was at school like nobody ever really told me that that could be a career path so yeah I'd I'd quite like to highlight that uh and yeah uh but I can tell you a little bit more about um so it's going to be open it's opening on Monday the 4th of September and it's going to run for eight weeks it's going to be open Monday to Friday and then I know that because a lot of people in film can't you know like make it during the week I'm going to be opening up for four Saturdays during the run so the information will be on the British Hat Guild website in the events section and on those Saturdays I'm also going to be doing like some free demos in uh, millinery materials on each of the Saturdays and I'm also going to be doing a organizing which I'm in the process of organizing at the moment a um, panel discussion with um Uh, one milliner who's going to be Noel Stewart and um, three other panellists yeah costume designers talking about the importance of headwear in character design uh, because I think it's really important for uh, people to fight to have hats in films sometimes yeah because I know from my own experience that quite often um, especially with like a really sort of large statement hat It'll get cut by the yeah, cut by the DOP or uh sometimes the producer because they want to see more of the actors' faces. So, you know, quite often the costume designer has to really fight and stand up for why they want that piece of costume um like in in the show. But then quite often when you think about it, like really iconic movie posters will have a hat, mm. you know? It's yeah. kind of it's so I think what I want to do is also target all the uh, costume design courses. Um, so I'm going to write to all of the uh, UK uh, costume courses and sort of target um, uh, students, 
student costume designers and student costume supervisors as well so that they can just kind of come and be inspired and like see what's possible with um, using headwear and designs. Well, just on that note, what do you think, I think you phrased it really nicely, the importance of character through headwear. What is that for you? Oh, what's that for me? Well, you can kind of, especially with historical headwear, you can immediately tell if someone is, you know, sort of old fashioned or um, maybe a little bit stuck in their ways by the, just sometimes by the headwear that they're wearing. Or I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Sean Barrett's hats. And um, in the exhibition, he's got this huge um, transparent lace brimmed hat worn by Michelle Pfeiffer in the film Cherie. And, you know, it just makes such an impact. It just immediately says so much about sort of the presence of that character. And he's also really, really famous for the um, Mad Hatter top hat worn by Johnny Depp. And honestly, I have seen that hat like recreated so many, you know, like the word iconic gets overused, but that really is an iconic hat. It's amazing. And why don't you tell us a little bit about the hat that you have exhibited as your own piece? Oh, okay. So I made a panto hat for Ian McKellen that he wore in Mother Goose. And it's a scene where he goes to the Tower of London. um, And as Mother Goose, he comes on wearing this amazing um, dress that's all kind of themed around the Tower of London. And then he was wearing this massive, not a bearskin, so not like the tall furry hats that but the, the the other one that the, the people at the tower of london where the, is it like the beef the eater eaters um, oh, okay yeah, yeah. It was like fabric around it uh, and it had a load of um boppers on it as well it's designed by a costume designer called liz ascroft uh, and costume supervisor called sarah holland and they're a really really fab team to work with and liz was really great at problem solving and just like being really creative on the spot because we we had uh, at one point it had like pom-poms all the way around it and the pom-poms made it like super super heavy so she um just on the spot kind of was like well we can just do this and we can do that you know it's like a, a designer who is just really great at kind of problem solving during yeah. the fitting and staying really positive and uh yeah it was it was it was such a fun project to work on I really enjoyed it well actually how is the prep going for the exhibition it's good. I've been doing lots and lots of admin, lots of tracking down hats. Um, yeah, most of the hats have been quite easy to track down and people have been super helpful. Well, that was one of, going to be one of my questions, has it? Because often when a production's finished, at least, I mean, I'm not entirely sure about theatre, but with film or TV, it goes into sort of uh, archive or embargo, depending on what stage it is. And then I'm not entirely sure where it ends up after that. So has it been quite difficult? But you did say it's been quite straightforward to get most of the hats that you needed to get. Yeah, I think because I'm doing one hat per milliner, uh, it's it's been quite straightforward. And also be- because I decided to do the exhibition in December, then I've had quite a long lead time for people to to find things or it's something that you know like the production was just finishing so they could ask for it then uh, okay and but quite a lot of the hats have come from uh like designers own stock i think um if it's like a if some of the hero hats i think maybe costume designers keep them in their own stock so i was going to ask you i think you did say when and where we can see the exhibition um but i will we'll put proper notes um 
on the Instagram post with this episode and also in the show in the show notes sounds very fancy the show notes I'll put um, notes links to the exhibition as well and I was going to ask is how are you juggling putting an exhibition on with your work and with your life like just with everything and with the, the stuff that you're just doing just generally has it been crazy and manic and uh it has been actually yeah uh well I earlier this year I got some um Arts Council funding to study 3D printing and I actually did a lot of the exhibition work then mm. I was trying not to because I was like no I treat treat the funding like time like like a you know like a job job and don't get distracted by that but then I spent I mean I spent tons and tons of time learning the 3D printing but I think if I hadn't been doing the exhibition then I would have been like like totally obsessed with doing just yeah. that um, so it worked out really well because it meant that I did have time to sort of get going at the beginning and organize stuff. Uh, and then, um, I've got a little bit of savings now and August, I think with the writer's strike is going to be quite quiet. Yeah. So yeah, my plan is to just kind of, I've got a month left to plow through all the rest of it. And I have had some help from, um, a millennial called B in the British Hat Guild and she's been helping me do a lot of um reaching out to press oh. we've got got an interview tomorrow with the stage newspaper which oh, cool. is really cool I think Selvage magazine are going to feature it and a couple of other magazines oh wow. so yeah That's so really it's cool. been really good working with her as well yeah oh awesome and how are you feeling about um the exhibition excited really excited yeah yeah and uh, Yona, uh, who I talked about before, who is the curator at uh, the Hat Museum um, at Luton Culture Trust, she she's just been so great as well and been helping me. So, yeah, really excited, really, really excited to kind of now also that everyone has started signing the loan agreement forms and, you know, like it's definitely secured. I've just been like working out when I can pick it up and kind of they've got a secure room. I can take stuff to there early. So, Yeah. Oh, I'm re- really excited. Yeah, really excited as well about um, sort of telling people about it. And and because so often people are like really excited about hats and it's nice to be able to see them up close and see yeah. you know, how they've been made. Yeah, I'm really excited. I, I'm definitely going to be naturally, of course, going to be going to see it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> be awkward if we spoke, started speaking about it. I was like, I don't have any interest in this whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> well the, no. the panel discussion is uh gonna be on saturday oh i think it's saturday the 14th of october uh and that's really good there's 100 tickets and they're gonna be around about six pounds each so yeah super affordable oh that's really good yeah and luton is is pretty easy to get to from london i was looking well. it up actually because it's actually not as far as i feel like it was in my head when i was mm. uh, looking it up <laughs> um so that is really exciting and I think it'll be like you said it'd be really really cool to see work that you may have seen on screen or on stage up close and literally like be able to see how it's made and also talk to people as well I guess well you'll be at the exhibition as well most on day Sundays I will be there every time it's open on a Saturday which is four times I will be there yes cool definitely so if you go on a Saturday you'll be able to meet Claire um this is really exciting and like I said I'll link all the information in the uh, notes on the podcast episode and also with Instagram as well is there any other information about the um, exhibition you'd like to say if there's not, if, in case I've missed anything? Um, just that all the most up-to-date 
information will be on the British Hat Guild website. Cool. I will link that too as well on there. And that brings <laughs> me on to my final question, which is what are your three torch recommendations? My three torch recommendations are uh, Moulin Rouge. Absolutely love that film so much. I uh, love yeah. that film. I love the music as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i even had um the screensaver on my computer when i when it first came out in like uh i think that must have been around about 2000 or 2001 uh yeah and i just love it oh. yeah i just um, i really like that director and i think that's one of his best films um yeah i could just watch it all the time i love it actually you know what um it's based on uh labo m which i i sadly missed Missed it last time it was on at ENO. Um, but yeah, oh. and someone said, Oh, you should definitely see it. And it's really, really good um opera. And did you know that Moulin Rouge is based on it? Which I didn't. Oh, I didn't know that either. Oh, okay, I'll check that out. Actually, I have to look it up. I didn't realise. I just thought it was a manufactured story. Like a written story. I think also it's it's I mean, I know she does sorry, spoiler, that she does die. But um <laughs> <laughs> but it is a feel-good film. It's like, I don't know, they're they're all kind of creatives and like yeah i think visually know, like, it's quite like feel like, good yeah yeah, yeah. thanks so that's kind of... and also sometimes it feels quite good to kind of cry at a film as well you know that you know you go through all the emotions yes yeah yeah that's <laughs> very true i you i do that with call the midwife sometimes <laughs> <laughs> sorry i don't want to distract you sorry, sorry go on sorry <laughs> uh okay and my my second film is eternal sunshine of the spotless mind by uh directed by Michel Gondry I haven't seen it have you seen it no it's nice yeah it's um it's it's nicely filmed and I it's got um Kate Winslet and oh god what's his name is Ewan McGregor in that too no no it's uh the guy who was in uh Ace Ventura Pet Detective Jim Carrey Jim Carrey it's not Jim Carrey but Jim Carrey acting like in a serious role Yeah. yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but it's like um uh so michelle gondry did loads of music videos as well that are like super cool and i i just really like the way it's shot it kind of goes through sort of dream sequences and so they're kind of going through memories and you see things at like different scales and then it'll suddenly turn from they're in a room to suddenly the sand in the room and suddenly they're on a beach but it's 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 just a really I just think all parts of it are really sweet and yeah it's it's kind of one of those films that's just really um engaging I think. Ah, I think I feel like I've heard a lot about it especially I've heard that title before um so I should check it out I've got a very growing to do to watch list but it does sound like a quite a sweet like a sweet like a nice film. Uh my third film I couldn't decide well I have decided but I had a choice between like two sci-fis which was Moon with uh sam rockwell acting in it just because like he's so good in it and i do love do love the film moon but it was between moon and june and i went with june just because the costumes and the set are just amazing and i went to the cinema to watch it twice absolutely loved that film yeah but it was super cool so yeah my third choice is june okay i see i've resisted this i don't know if i I don't know why i've resisted watching it because i feel like it might have been too complex for me to matt like i need easy watching at the minute but I feel like I've heard so many people said it's their favourite movie, just generally, of the last few years. I feel like I do. And have you read the book? I don't know, because it is based on a book, isn't it, or something? Well, I have read the book, but then I watched the film and I just thought this... I really think maybe I read a different book and in my head I thought it was June. <laughs> it was... 
<laughs> it was ages ago. It was like the year 2000. And I was sure that I'd read it. But then I watched the film and I was just like, oh, maybe I've watched it. Maybe I've read a completely different book. Um, oh. So I don't know. Or oh, sure. they've interpreted it in different ways to the way your mind might have done. So when you're imagining. Yeah. Things. Yeah, maybe. Cool. Um, but I just thought I just loved like, like the design of the space uh, well, I'm not sure if they're spaceships. Yeah, I guess they are spaceships. The, the the design of like the aircraft that they're using in it, and obviously the costumes, the headwear. There's this point where there's a guy who's got um a white parasol. Um, and I was looking at it like, oh, I wonder how that's been made. Um, it was like it was kind of, and I think actually that was a sign of a good film as well because even though I like totally and utterly loved the costumes. I wasn't doing too much of, oh, I wonder how that was made. Oh, yeah. I wonder how that was yeah. made. I was actually just like so engrossed with the film. I was just watching it. So yeah, so that's the thing. That's a sign of a really good film. Thank you for your recommendations. And thank you for coming on the podcast um, to speak to me. And actually, thank you for talking about the exhibition. I think it's really going to be really, really interesting. And I think it's really nice that you've highlighted uh, a niche, like you say, with when it comes to hat and headdresses. And I hope that when people come, they are inspired. And I think they will be quite inspired. And also, I just think it's really cool that you've put so much time and effort and energy into creating this exhibition. So, I mean, it's just really cool. I'm really like, oh, excited you. for you. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> thank you for speaking to me about yourself and about the exhibition today. And all the information about the exhibition, I will link with this episode. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I really enjoy listening to your podcast. Ah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I feel very honoured to be on it. Thank you. Ah, that's very <laughs> kind of you to say. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed my chat with Claire. And if you do get a chance, do check out Showtime for Hats in September at the Hatworks in Luton. It's only a two minute walk from Luton Station and a 35 minute train journey from King's Cross. All the details for the exhibition will be in the notes. The exhibition opens from the 4th of September to the 28th of October. And if you get a moment, could you please like, follow or subscribe on your podcast platform and follow the Crew Chats podcast on Instagram. Thank you.